Welcome to another episode of the Agora podcast. I'm Nick Malkoutsis, your host. Normally, this is the place where we analyze the latest political, geopolitical, economic and even social developments affecting Greece. Our own experts and informed guests examine the latest data, political machinations and social trends. In this episode, though, we're going to do something slightly different. Less than 30 seconds of added time by the watch in front of us. No! Marcus Merck decides that that is the end of Euro 2004. And what an odyssey it's been here. Unfancied Greece are the champions of Europe. They've never won a game in this tournament before. It started. They'd lost their opening two qualifying games. They knocked out the holders, France. They knocked out the highly respected Czechs. And they have twice broken the hearts of the host Portugal. Cristiano Ronaldo is in tears. One of the big stars. That's right. 16 years on from one of the greatest upsets in sporting history, we'll be looking back at how Greece managed to win football's European Championship. We just heard how the BBC radio covered this remarkable moment. We've gathered a select group of journalists who followed that tournament and had a close eye on Greek football in the subsequent years. We'll be looking back on that heady summer in Portugal in 2004 when unfancied Greece beat off much stronger rivals to lift its first and so far only silverware in international football. We'll be trying to explain this success but also asking whether the legacy of such a momentous victory fizzled away in the years that followed. Most of all, though, I'm hoping to have a pleasant stroll down memory lane with three great colleagues and friends. A brief journey that will keep you entertained as well as informed. So, let me introduce the squad we've assembled for this Euro 2004 retrospective. Combined, they have decades worth of experience covering the Greek national team, reporting on European championships and World Cups, and following the complicated goings-on in the domestic game. First of all, the wily man at the back. You'll never get past him, or if you do, he'll bite your legs. I'm pleased to welcome Paris-based sports journalist, commentator, and documentary filmmaker, Barney Spender. Bonjour, Barney. Ah, bonjour, mes amis. Comment allez-vous? Or should I say, uh, Calimera, Calispera, Ticanita. Nice to be working with you, Nick. Nice to have you here. And for, for those of you who don't know Barney, he's the man responsible for the fantastic Road to Sparta documentary about the legendary Spartathlon, the 246-kilometer ultramarathon that is run every year between Athens and Sparta, a feat that in some ways Barney is commensurate with what Greece achieved in 2004, you might say. Oh my god. Well, yeah, kind of, although I think I think Greece in 2004 is is something completely out on its own because uh, people run Spartathlon every year and they finish quite well, not I'm not going to say comfortably, but a lot of people finish whereas yeah. uh, Greece I think is a once in a lifetime. 
Now, let's go. Let's move to our second guest. Uh, he'll be the midfield engine room of this show. He's the man we'll rely on to supplement our failing memories and make sure that we get our facts right, of course. He has years of experience covering Greek football and other sports for the English edition of Kathimerini. He also writes for the sports pages of the newspaper's Greek edition. He is George Yorgakopoulos. Kalimera, George. Kalimera, thank you for all that. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, George, and sharing your uh, infinite wisdom and knowledge of uh, Greek football with us. We're looking forward to it. Well, the midfield engine is at your disposal. Okay, fantastic. And finally, let me introduce the last member of our squad, our talented but temperamental playmaker, hailing from the northeast of England, but now an adopted son of Greece, where he's been covering football for UEFA.com and Reuters, among others. He is Graham Wood. All right, Graham. <laughs> Thanks for the intro, Nick. Good morning. Good to be uh, here. Thank you for joining us. So, boys, to paraphrase New Order's World in Motion, this ain't no football show, and I'd like us to focus on more than just formation and tactics and perhaps try to paint a broader picture for our listeners about this unique moment in Greece's modern history. First of all, maybe we can start off by recalling what that period in Greece felt like. Barney, you had recently uh, come to the country, a lot of uh, things changing. Greece had recently joined the Euro. Unlike in, uh, you know, the last 10 years, that it had one of the highest growth rates in the Eurozone. In 2004, there'd been a change of government. The Olympics were coming up in the summer of 2004. Generally, a sense that the, the country was going places. You've pinched all my lines, Nick. Um, <laughs> it was uh, well. Two thousand and four was I mean, on a, on a very personal note. Nick, two thousand and four was an amazing year for, for for me and for my family because we left we left London um, at the end of January two thousand and four to to come to Greece to come to Athens for the Olympics. I had I had the offer of a couple of weeks' work at the Olympics, uh, and that was it. So we uh, we drove from London. To, to Athens. It took us seven weeks. So we arrived towards the end of March, which, is, as you say, was, I think it was around about the time that um, uh, Costas Karamanlis won the election. Um, so there was, there was an air of change in Greece, certainly. And um, as things turned out, we installed ourselves in, in Athens. I was there with my wife, Jacqueline, and the, the, the two kids were just um, two and one at the time. So real kids. And it was genuinely the start of a of an amazing adventure we, we planned to come to Greece for six months we ended up staying for five years which tells you part of the story um, but that year was, was extraordinary a lot was happening uh, there was work with the Olympics there was a real buzz in Athens um, it was fueled of course by uh, Sakis Rouvas at Eurovision um, which got us all going uh, that was in May I think it was and then of course we had the Euros in um, late later in the summer before the Olympics, it was a fantastic curtain raiser. Uh, I fell on my feet. I, I was fortunate to get a job with uh, Athens International Radio, which was being set up for the Olympics. So suddenly, uh, having been an outsider, I was right in the middle of things, and it was it really it was just such an exciting time. And 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 of course the Euros, I mean, it, it just captured everyone's imagination and teed up the Olympics beautifully. So it was it was a great year, Nick. Yeah, I think you've described it uh, fantastically well. Uh, George, is there something that you would add to this sort of scene setting and to, for people to get an understanding of 
what moment Greece was in in 2004 going into the European Championships and then, of course, the Olympics? There was definitely a euphoria regarding um, uh, to, uh, the 2004 Olympics in Athens. But really, Euro 2004 was more like a sideshow at the time. It's not like uh, anybody expected anything more than uh, what Greece had achieved in its previous uh, presence in the European Championships in 1980. So, uh, yes, there was euphoria, but not so much about the national team. Yeah, I think obviously expectations were low going into Euro 2004, given that it was only the second time Greece was qualifying for uh, European Championships. And in, in a sense, you know, Greek fans were, were happy just to be there. And even the players admit that going into the, the tournament, perhaps the, the, the target was to win a, a, a game. Greece hadn't won in 1980 when it qualified for the Euros before. It lost uh, all its games at the 1994 World Cup, its only appearance uh, there. So you're right. I guess, you know, the, 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 the bar was set uh, pretty low in terms of expectations. That's right. And uh, the general euphoria you described was not uh, obviously just in sporting matters. It was also the fact that Athens was, has, had just been rebuilt. Uh, there were new stadiums, new highways. There was this new airport uh, just three years ago that opened at uh, Sparta. And uh, you generally got the feeling that something was changing. Uh, not so much because of a changing government in uh, March 2004, but mainly because uh, the Greeks were preparing to host the world in uh, August and September. And uh, therefore, this meant that it took out the best out of uh, the Greeks. And I, I think it's very important to get this uh, point across that it was this time of plenty, this time of uh, 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 abundance, this time of uh, prosperity and things happening and the city changing very much and the, uh, and the, the country with it. Uh, Graham, what was your perspective on, on that moment in, in terms of Greek history? Yeah, actually similar to the guys, I was in a, I was in a similar situation to, uh, to Barney where I moved to, to Greece um, in, in the summer of 2004, um, just a month before the Olympics started to, um, you know, as a journalist, I, I was going to be covering the, the British team um, for the press association. Um, and it's funny how your kind of life kind of intertwines with, with events and can guide your decisions because um, actually uh, when I first started my journalism career in, in uh, 2000 when I left university, um, showing my age there a bit, but anyway, um, when I started, I was kind of always had one eye on, on coming out to Greece because obviously I'd, I'd uh, you know, fallen in love like you do with a Greek girl. And um, so, so I always had one eye on Greek football. And it was funny because all my colleagues were like, you know, why are you so obsessed with Greek football all the time? It's, it's crap. They're rubbish. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, from, from 2000 to 2001, you know, uh, when Rahagel came in, I was always keeping a close eye and I was kind of writing the roundups for, for Greek football and covering the Greek national team for, for the foreign news wire we had. So I was kind of in a unique position where I was kind of watching the, the, uh, the players quite quite closely and I was I was an AK Athens fan as well so I was really fan of that team from two, uh, 2002 which you know had Nikolaidis, Tartas, uh, Zagorakis, Kapsis. It had a, a good spine of the actual pl uh, players that were later to play at, in the Euro finals. So I was insufferable saying like you know the, these guys are good and they've got a good coach you know they're going to be underdogs. I mean by no shape or form was I predicting that they would win 
Euro 2004, but I was sure. like, you know, watch out for them. They can be a, a dangerous proposition. Um, they don't concede goals, you know, and they're very well organized and they've got some talented players. And that was one of the things I couldn't understand before 2004 was like looking at the players and, and, and watching some of the games playing for their clubs. Why, weren't, why wasn't the, the, their national team any good, you know? But, but then yeah. Rahagel managed to um, sort that out. But yeah, I agree with what uh, George was saying about the, the, the kind of, and Barney about the air of change. That I definitely felt that, you know, because I'd come a couple of times from 2000 to, to 2004. I'd been over a few times, managed to um, um, uh, st- still be there when the drachma was around. And I managed to go to the old airport as well. So I saw the kind of city completely change the landscape and saw the, the pride in people's faces and, Everyone was walking around with like a big smile on their face, obviously, when the, when the Olympics was uh, kicking off because of all this that had happened and, 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 and the Euro as well. So it really was a kind of a unique uh, starting point um, for this era for Greece and also for my kind of personal life as well. Very, very interesting. And, and you touched there upon the sort of the change that the Greek national team was going through. And it's worth pointing out that... In, in the qualifying, they, they began with two defeats and then followed that up with six, six straight victories that uh, led to them topping their group, a group which included Spain, Ukraine, Armenia, Northern Ireland. Uh, George, uh, was um, Rehagel making a difference uh, very quickly since taking over the team? There is no doubt that he made the difference. Uh, after uh, a very difficult start in uh, Finland, in the um, at, towards the end of the qualifiers for the 2002 World Cup, uh, 5-1 drubbing there, uh, a few days later, Greece uh, showed its teeth against England uh, when uh, England really snatched a 2-2 draw, if you remember. And uh, that was quite a performance. The game that's famous for the last-minute David Beckham free kick. That was never a free kick, by the way. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, and straight after that, when uh, Greece tried to uh, uh, create something, uh, something different in uh, in the hands of Ray Hagel, uh, obviously the first couple of games were uh, very difficult at home against uh, Spain, especially. Uh, remember that Greece uh, had to play its home games at the Apostolos Nikolaidis uh, Stadium which is just um, a, a small stadium for holding just 16,000, 17,000 people because the Olympic Stadium of Athens was being rebuilt ahead of the 2004 Olympic Games. Therefore, it was an intimidating stadium that Greece wanted to make the most of, and it did. So, so in a way, serendipity there, but working in favour of the Greek national team. Barney, you wanted to come in on uh, yeah, this I'll... point. I was I was just uh, going to clarify for anybody who isn't familiar with with Greek football that the uh, the, the stadium that George has mentioned is the Panathinaikos Stadium, isn't it? Yes, it is correct. Leoforos Alexander says it's also known uh, a, a stadium that you've been to uh, a number of times in in the past, and it is a bit of a sort of small ramshackle uh affair which i guess like george says can be intimidating for visiting teams absolutely and and just on a quick aside the first very soon after i got to greece in in march i think i went to the uh the athens derby uh panathinaikos olympiakos at, at the stadium and yeah. it was an incredible atmosphere i'd never witnessed a, a football atmosphere like it no olympiakos uh, uh, supporters but that didn't stop the panathinaikos supporters from fighting each other 
uh, and and even in the in the press box, there were people uh, almost coming to coming to blow. It was it was a real bear pit, and I think in terms of qualifying, yeah. that probably uh, didn't harm Greece's uh, efforts either, because you're, the, the fans are right on top of the players, and it's not a pleasant place to play. There is also the fact that after seven years, the home team at uh, the Apostolos Nicolaidi Stadium, Panathinaikos, as you know. Um, was for the first time charging for uh, the league title. And um, uh, this was uh, another reason for euphoria at that very stadium, which also hosted the um, uh, qualifying games uh, for that campaign. Lots of positive energy then. Uh, Graham, did you want to come in on this uh, point? No, I was just, I was, I was just going to mention, so, you know, in, in, uh, uh, that... that... That that stadium is, is is very much like West Ham's old boiling ground, Nick. Your beloved West Ham, but with yes. with an atmosphere, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, that, we, we, that 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 subject is off limit. It's too it's too painful to uh, dis- discuss. Um, so uh, the, here we have it. You know, Greece brings the surprise. I mean, you know, they they, they topped a group in which Spain were obviously the favourites. They managed to. Uh, uh, beat Spain away from uh, home as well, which was uh, probably the, the the standout victory of that uh, qualifying. And off they go to the European Championships. As we said, only the second time uh, this had happened in uh, the, the history of the Greek uh, national team. Um, what what are the kind of things that stood out about the team going into that tournament, guys? Obviously, we have, as George mentioned, Ray Huggle coming in. Um, and and making a difference uh, and kind of forming an odd couple with his uh, assistant Yanis uh, Topalidis, uh, who uh, did also the translating for him, and and they were sort of, but perhaps not experienced at uh, really top level uh, football. But somehow this this odd couple they they, they managed to to work. Uh, Graham mentioned there some of the players that were uh, established figures in in the national team. What what are the kind of standout things that we we have to look at as the team goes into the European Championships? Yeah, I think for me, it was the kind of team spirit that um, um, Rahagel managed to instill into the players in this kind of togetherness that that wasn't there before. Obviously, there was a lot of singularity before and club football has always been more important than the national team in Greece. but you know, you saw that the players accepted his his decisions. There was no like egos getting in the way. I mean, George can, or Barney can correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is what I remember. Like you know, you you had a player like, for example, uh, Demis Nikolaidis, who was a superstar striker, the David Beckham of Greece, if you like, in terms of celebrity status. But he wasn't complaining when he was being left out for Haristeas, who was obviously being more effective in certain games. And everyone was like doing their part. It wasn't like, you know, I should be playing, um, I shouldn't be on the bench kind of attitude. And obviously everything was built on this uh, t- uh, team spirit, I think, and, and the willing to do, you know, to, to um, do anything and everything for, for each other and for the team. That's, I think, the most standout point for me. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's a fair assessment. George? Uh, Nikolaidis was one of the Ike players that uh, Otto Rehagel managed to persuade away from national team retirement uh, due to club uh, football. 
because um, Nikolaidis and uh, a couple of other Ike players had promised never to play for the national team again, as the setup was with um, the Greek Football Federation being allegedly more influenced by one other rival club, Olympiakos. So it was a personal, there was a great personal relationship between Nikolaidis and Ray Hagel as well. The same kind of relationship was built with most, if not all, of the players of the national team. Yeah, it's, it, that's a great point, actually, George, and to, to sort of highlight that Rehagel coming in. I mean, uh, Graham mentioned that you know his his the, the kind of way he he ruled, and you know there was this uh, famous uh, autocracy period that uh, uh, re- with regards to his management in uh, uh, Germany, and he did come and he, in, and he was he was strict, but at the same time he managed to navigate his way through all these particularities about uh, uh, that Greek book football has, which you, you highlighted there. Barney, you wanted to add to this uh, part of the discussion. I don't remember Greece during qualifying at all, I'm afraid to say. Um, and obviously what, I've, what I picked up then was, was after the event. But it, but it does strike me that, that Greece, I mean, having found their feet with Rehagel, they found some organisation, they found someone from outside the club system because what got me was that it, it, it appeared to be that Greece is, is uh, obviously riven between Olympiakos and Panathinaikos with Ike thrown in on the side. Uh, and if you were from one club or the other, then you favoured those clubs. The press got after you and no, nobody was really um, allowed to settle. These are my impressions. I may, I may be wrong on this. Um, and I think with Otto coming in, you had someone from outside who was not married into the club system in Greece. And that allowed the players and allowed the fans and allowed the press to get behind the team as a un- as a unity and a, 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 and make a a real unified uh, front in in supporting, I think that was important. And also, you had players, um, unlike in other competitions where where Greece had qualified before. And again, I'm sure George will, will correct me on this if I'm wrong, but I think I think you had more players that had experience and had international experience as well. I remember Theo Zagarakis was playing in England, I think, or had been playing in England. I, I seem to remember him playing for Leicester City uh, um, and uh, and various others, they were a bit older. They, they had more experience. And maybe it was that coming together of a time and a place and the feeling that it's here and now or, or forget it for all time. Yeah, I, I think that it is quite sort of a u- unique moment. And obviously, Rehagel was, was the key to all this. George, I just want to ch- touch on one of the, the subjects. And we said we, we wouldn't do too much of a sort of tactical analysis formation and so on. But obviously the tactics played a big role and we'll discuss this a little bit more with regards to the tournament. What are, what are some of the major changes that uh, Rehagel made in, in terms of the way the Greek team played and uh, how this then carried into the tournament? One key change was the great emphasis placed on uh, the defensive uh, midfielders. So uh, Ray Hagel acknowledged that this was one of the biggest strengths of uh, the Greek national team, unlike its front line, which was never um, its strongest point. So uh, having a a fantastic midfield in um, uh, Kostas Katsouranis, in uh, uh, Yorgos Karagounis, in... uh, Stelios Yanakopoulos in Theo Zagorakis and in Vasil Tsartas, uh, this great wealth of players in the midfield allowed uh, Ray Hagel's team to be strong in uh, in the holding positions, in holding midfielders, as well as creating some problems in uh, in, uh, in the opposite defence 
any, every time that there was some opening. There were very few openings. Greece did not score so many goals in the qualifiers either. Uh, never mind the Euro 2004 finals, but uh, they did get there even if in the last game of qualifying it took uh, Vasily Tsarta's penalty uh, on the 70th minute to seal qualification for Greece. Right, so here we have the, the picture coming together. A uh, 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 new coach coming in, uh, changing the style, perhaps uh, adopting a style that's more suited to the, the abilities of the, the Greek footballers, some experienced players, players are willing to pay for the coach, and Greece gets to Euro 2004. Uh, it's worth pointing out that Greece had the second-to-last UEFA ranking going into the competition, well, it's ranked 23rd at the time, and only Latvia, who were first-timers in the tournament, uh, were placed lower. And, of course, famously, uh, the uh, odds on Greece winning Euro 2004 after they qualified were at one stage as high as 2050-1, to 1, although they came down to uh, around 80-1 to 1 at the start of the tournament. So I, I think, you know, Rank outsiders is, uh, you know, if you had a picture next in the dictionary next to it, the, the Greek national team would be there despite all the improvements that had taken place under Rehagel. So, guys, we, we arrive at 2004 in Portugal. And as I suggested earlier, the aim there was really uh, Greece's at its third major tournament, it's been to one European Championship, one World Cup, hasn't won a single game. The, the aim going in is, guys, let's at least you know get three points on the board, and uh, if we go home, at least uh, say that uh, we we took the next step. But very quickly, we realise that maybe this time it's going to be a little different. The first game is against Portugal on the twelfth of June in two thousand and four which Greece ends up winning uh, 2-1 goals by uh, Karagounis, a penalty by Basinas, and then uh, Ronaldo scoring in injury time. And that's the first major shock. Uh, Graham, seeing that result, uh, did you think what's going on here or was it something that in the back of your mind you expected that Greece might uh, spring a surprise? No, I mean, it, um, I, I didn't expect Greece to win that game at all. You know, you have Portugal who, who, who are hosting it with like, you know, the up and coming young Ronaldo in the team and they already have a really, really strong squad. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a massive shock. It, it's it's funny because I was actually living in Japan at the time. And so we're watching the game at like ungodly hours. And it was incredible just, you know, because that, that early goal from Karagounis where they just kind of let him run at them and he, and he fired him from long range and he... And it's just like, oh, what's what's going on here? That's not supposed to happen. Um, yeah. And then, and the rest of the game kind of turned out like that. You 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 saw the Greece were, were pretty solid, and they were just looking for opportunities when they could get them. Um, and then they got the the, the second goal. Yeah, I mean, sorry to interrupt, Graham. You mentioned the the Karagounis goal, and one of my abiding memories of, of, of that goal is that in Greece, uh, w- watching on uh, public uh, television. Uh, for some reason, the uh, the commentary, the sound, was ahead of the picture, just fractionally. So you actually heard the commentator shout goal bef- just as Karagounis was taking uh, the shot. So it was kind of a very confusing moment, but I think kind of very uh, <laughs> symptomatic of this 
uh, you know, s- surprising and unnerving and uh, v- very peculiar situation that Greece uh, was in. I didn't know about that. That's interesting. That that must have been really strange. Kind of like a glitch in the matrix. What's going on here? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Great way to describe it. Barney, you wanted to add something. I have to put my hand up and admit I didn't even see the goal. I didn't even watch the first half of the, of the Portugal game. I was um, getting involved with Greek rugby at the time and there was a game going on just outside Athens and uh, we were gathered on the touchline watching uh, some sweaty, I mean, and then it was sweaty, it was June, it was hot for God's sakes. Um, and football, that's the round ball, which we didn't really bother about. We were way above that. Nobody was interested. And of course, uh, there was a clubhouse. And while the game was going on, this massive roar erupted from the clubhouse and people started to get interested. And second half, we, we began to drift towards the clubhouse for a couple of uh, cold beers. And by the end of the game, of course, it was jam-packed. And I think in some ways... That was symptomatic of what happened in Greece because a lot of people, as we said, just had no expectations whatsoever. And that goal from Karagounis, that win against Portugal, suddenly uh, lit the torch paper for the whole of Greece to get interested in the Euros. Football beating rugby, as it should be, Barney. (laughs) You're a funny man. But but I, I I think you you sum it up quite well because going into that first game, of course, there was a bit of excitement that the opening game of the Euros, Portugal, the host, Greece is taking uh, part in the opening game and playing its first first match and things. But as as we've mentioned before, you know, expectations were low, and you know, at least there wasn't this sense that Greece was living this Euro two thousand four fevers, as George mentioned earlier, and. Uh, I would be sort of. I would be happy to bet that a lot of people didn't really tune into to to that game. Maybe because they felt Greece would get a walloping from the hosts in the first game, uh, or uh, that uh, really they hadn't uh, got into the the mood yet. Uh, what do you think, Barney? Yeah, well, no, I agree. And I, I just wanted to say, sorry, Nick, because I know George has got plenty to say on this game. Um, I, I just wanted to say that that. Having watched that game again, obviously, we watched it a few times afterwards um, and I've watched it since and in the last week, um, you realise Greece were not lucky. This was not a lucky win. They, no, they did play well, yeah. They thoroughly deserved to win that and they were unlucky that they conceded right at the end because Portugal were not in it. They were very nervous as the host nation. They did not play well at all and, and Greece looked competent. They looked efficient. They, they worked their gaps well. There was a good goal from... Uh, Karagounis and so on. So uh, I, that was more more the concern, I think, for the other teams was that was that this wasn't a fluky win. This was this was a well worked victory. Well, that, that that's an issue I'd like to come to when when we wrap up. That, that you know this this idea that uh, Greece fluked their way through Euro two thousand and four, which um, I think is unfair. And you highlight there that certainly in this uh, first game they they played well. And of course, probably the, the decisive moment was the second Greek goal, the Bassinas penalty on in the 51st minute. And uh, if you allow me, I'd just like to um, give you a taste of how it was covered on Greek radio, Sport FM. <laughs> Το πειρατικό είναι και ο Άγγελος. Ο Πασινάς κάνει το 2-0. 
Δεν το περιμένουν. Έχουν μείνει αποσβολωμένοι, έχουν βάλει ζημιά, δεν ξέρουν τι τους γίνεται. Θα τους το πούμε μετά. Θα το διαβάσουν στην απόλα. 2-0 Ελλάδα-Πορτογαλία. So that was uh, Yorgos Helakis uh, commentating for Spore FM at, at the time, obviously getting very excited about, uh, uh, and why wouldn't he, about the second goal. George, this was also the, you know, the first game when radio commentary, and particularly the commentary of uh, Yorgos Helakis, became part of the sort of uh, fabric of this, uh, this tournament. Definitely, it's it's the folklore. It's the you know it's the special feeling that uh, this guy gave to the Greeks at the time, uh, possibly because there was no equivalent on uh, Greek television at the time. Therefore, uh, the fact that uh, his passion came through the microphone in this way made him not only a star for that month in uh, Portugal, but uh, his voice uh, also became a a music uh, record that uh, came out and played out throughout the summer of 2004 across Greek beaches and Greek clubs. Uh, Amazing. Barney, you've done a a radio commentary, TV commentary. Did you ever get those uh, decibels? Um, I, I'm working on it, Nick. I, I do take take this the, this as a, as, a, as the guidelines, really, and I, I'm still qu- not quite there, but it, but it's work in progress. Fair, fair, fair enough. So, still got, some uh, so, so, some tips to pick up from the pros. But, a, uh, Graham, it's the English understatement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's never going to happen with Barney with football. It has to be rugby. Obviously, he, he gets quite excited with the rugby. <laughs> He, he does indeed. Uh, so, guys, you know, the, the, this was the, the, the first um, upset, it, 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 not just for Greece, but for the, the tournament as a whole. Um, and there we were sort of pinching ourselves. Uh, you know, we got the, the Greece got the first win. Uh, is that enough? And then the second game rolls around, 16th of June. Spain, a team Greece had beaten in qualifying. Um and a very good team, a team with uh, players like Morientes, uh, Raul, and, and and so on. And Greece grab a one-one draw, and I think this is where um, people start to believe that perhaps actually qualification is in sight, is is a realistic goal, and it also shows that you know the win over Spain in the qualification wasn't a fluke. That this team isn't just lucky. That there's something very um, uh, solid about it and that there's something very real about it as well. Graham? As you say, Nick, this was the game where it's like, um, yes, it wasn't a fluke and it was against Spain who they'd already um, managed to beat in the qualifiers as well. But for me, this game is all about the pass from Chartas because being a left-footed uh, pl- uh, player myself back in the day, it's just one of the... Uh, a left foot like a wand, may I say. <laughs> Thanks for that, Nick. Um, he lied, <laughs> but uh, that pass. I mean, just watching it, I can watch it again and again. You know, he just looks up and sees Helgera out of position, and he just waits this amazing pass. So it just drops on Charles on on, on uh, foot over the at, at at the back post. It's just perfect, and uh, that that goal for me was actually one of the one of the highlights of the tournament, just for that pass. Beautiful. Yeah. Well- well, he, he did, I, and I, I actually, uh, Chardas was one of the, the Greek players who had played a, abroad in Seville, Sevilla, where he was uh, a star. And actually, 
went to see him play there and he was adored by the Sevilla fans for exactly for the qualities that you mentioned. And that left foot would be pivotal later on in the tournament and we will come to that. Um, so after this momentum had built over the first two games, we go into the third game against Russia on the 20th of June at the Estadio Algarve. Uh, and there, things are a little bit uh, different. Not such a good performance. Greece lose 2-1. Uh, but that goal by Vrizas proves uh, vital. George, um, it was enough for Greece to squeeze through the next round, having come second in the group. It was just about enough. But the fact that uh, uh, Greece uh, regrouped after a fairly bad performance in the first half of that game uh, gave, gave the Greek team some renewed confidence, the confidence uh, built during the first couple of games. And uh, it showed uh, in, the, in what was to follow. Uh, the Russians had, um, uh, had a great game in that one. But uh, it was this never-say-die mentality that Ray Hagel had also in, instilled on the, the Greeks that helped them through. Uh, absolutely. Barney, you have some memories of this game? Having already put my hand up and admitted that I didn't see the uh, most of the Portugal game, um, I've got to put my hand up again and say I didn't see much of the other two either. Uh, when it came to the, the Spain game, that was a midweek game. And I, I remember very vividly, it right. clashed. It clashed with a very big social event. It was the Queen's birthday. And the British ambassador in Athens was holding a, a garden party. So uh, myself and, and, and Madame Spender uh, went along to the garden party. But uh, Ambassador, I think it was a Madden, Ambassador Madden at the time, he had had the good sense to put up a big screen at the back, at the bottom of one of the gardens. And in spite of all the, the, the bands that were playing everybody began to gravitate towards the screen when that uh, Spanish game was going on. And the roar from the garden of the British embassy when that goal went in, when Haristea scored, were, I mean, I'm sure it could, have, it could have been heard in Thessaloniki. It was, it was extraordinary. Um, so that, that, was a, that was a great thing. And again, a sign of, of the way everyone was coming together and really believed that Greece could do something. The Russian game, I... I actually have no memory at all. I think I was on family duty and got told the result later on. So uh, I'll, I'll move swiftly on. Well, honestly, you didn't miss much. It wasn't a great game and it was a bit of a, a cliffhanger for, for Greece waiting to see that uh, that was enough to, to qualify, which it was. Portugal won the group with six points. Greece came second with uh, four points, followed Spain also had four points. Greece, though, had, uh, amazingly enough, uh, finished second ahead of Spain because they'd scored four goals where Spain had scored two. And if you think that, as we mentioned before, Spain was a team with players like Raul and uh, Morientes, that was quite some achievement. And all that, of course, this uh, surprise route into the quarterfinals uh, started to excite not only the fans in Athens, as you mentioned, Barney, but in uh, Portugal, where they started to take to the streets and uh, sing about perhaps even winning. So there are the Greek fans singing about coming to Portugal to take back the European trophy to Greece. But of course, in the quarterfinal, they were up against uh, the reigning European Championships champions, France, 
uh, a great team, led, of course, by the likes of Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira, uh, and so on. Uh, and this was, at least for me, this was when I thought, okay, uh, the, the, you know, the dream is over. There's no way uh, Greece can uh, get past France. Yet, uh, Aguilos Haristeas' goal in the 65th minute was enough to uh, win the game. An amazing victory, given that not only that France were the European champions, also ranked number one uh, by uh, UEFA, and they'd made it through the quarterfinals by winning a tough group containing England, Croatia and Switzerland. Um, Barney, do you have any memories of this game? Is it one you actually watched? (laughs) <laughs> yes, it is. I watched them all now. I mean, I do remember when, uh, of course, in the build-up to all this, there was a chance that Greece would play England in the quarterfinals. And I remember getting a lot of uh, ribbing from my colleagues at Athens International Radio about a, a possible quarterfinal. But of course, England uh, came second in their group to France, and it was the French. And really, we we I, I watched it at, at home in Pagrati on the sofa with the, with the family, and and I just remember the quiet on the streets. There were no cars around. Everyone uh, seemed to be watching the match. And that, that's sort of my abiding memory. Um, all the shutters were open. It was another hot day. So you could, you could hear the sounds across the street and across the rooftops. It was, it was, it was a, it was a really good game. I mean, again, Greece played very well. France, I seem to remember, um, and this is a France with Zidane. I mean, as you mentioned, a couple of other names. I mean, that, this was a really good team. But they played dirty. Uh, the amount of challenges on, um, I think it was Karagounis in particular. He was he was kicked uh, all 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 the all the way to Madrid. Um, it was it was uh, it was pretty pretty unseemly. Uh, so France were reduced to kicking lumps out of Greece, and, and Greece played well. They didn't. It wasn't fancy, but they did what they needed to do, and it was a it was a great goal, and they thoroughly deserved it. Um, you, you mentioned that. I mean, this is my my turn to say that I actually didn't watch all, all of this game because, of course, it's summer and uh, uh, wedding season. I was at a relative's uh, wedding, and the game was on during the ceremony after the the, the church service. Um, the couple hadn't <laughs> the couple hadn't arrived yet, so oh. everyone had gathered in this small kitchen area where there was a little TV, all the blokes piled in there watching this small TV. And of course, uh, the, 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 the couple being quite sensible, they decided not to arrive until the, the game was over because they wouldn't have got anyone's attention. So, so the goal went in, Greece won the game, and then they arrived, of course, and the, the, a lovely celebration ensued. Well, while you guys were in Greece uh, over that period, I was in London. And um, uh, I can tell you that even though um, the game did not involve uh, any home team, any British team, there was definitely, definitely great support for Greece in this one, Greece against France. Uh, The the excitement that uh, Greece's goal generated could reverberate across the neighborhood in uh, North London where I lived. And I can tell you that uh, when the Greeks started to come out in the street straight after uh, the final whistle to celebrate uh, f- with uh, flags uh, around wrapped around their backs, uh, you could see that many uh, uh, locals, uh, many uh, Brits were honking their horns and uh, greeting the Greeks uh, as they celebrated. George, the, no? the English will support anyone against France. Fair enough. 
<laughs> Lovely memory, George. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, Graham, you had something to add. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, following to what, to what Barney said, uh, Greece actually did really play well in this game, especially in the first half. And well, uh, France are really out of sorts. And yeah, uh, it's it was really strange to see players, you know, the caliber that France had at that time, uh, to be going around like hacking players, you know, like Karagun is trying trying to take him out that way. But again, the highlight of this one is just the goal. Obviously, being a Newcastle fan, it, it reminded me of the entertainers of, of the late 90s where Keith Gillespie would wh- whip over a cross and Shearer would just plant a really powerful header. And Zagarakis showed amazing skill to just flick the ball over uh, Lizarazu, of all people, one of the best left-backs in the world at the time, just nonchalantly flicks it over his head and wh- whips in this perfect cross. And Jalisteas just rises like a phoenix, as they say, just just great, great memory of that of that goal as well. Just um, yeah. and France are just so shell shocked from that. The the touch from Zagorek is quite, sort of quite dainty, something you wouldn't uh, associate with him exactly. Uh, you just you just see him just looks up for a moment. He knows exactly where that cross is going. It was absolute perfection. I think that we'll all agree that this is kind of the game that made a lot of people sit up and think, and us included that something extraordinary may be happening here. And uh, I've got this clip from uh, Agilos Charisteas describing how the Greek team felt after that game. Let's have a listen. After the game with France, we all realised that anything was possible. We'd beaten a world champion team with big names, with great players. After winning that match, we thought it was our destiny to make it to the final and win it. That was Angelos Haristea speaking to UEFA TV about that uh, game against France where he scored the winning goal in the 65th minute. And of course... That win, that extraordinary win, took Greece to the semi-final against the Czech Republic. And guys, obviously, the Czech Republic were the form team, really, in this tournament. They'd scored a lot of goals, they'd won their games, they played uh, football that was drawing the accolades from uh, uh, all the the pundits, whereas Greece was seen as a, perhaps seen as a bit boring, a bit dour, a bit uh, defensive. Um and we have the extraordinary uh, outcome of Greece winning the game with a silver goal by uh, defender Trainos Delas at the end of the first half of uh, extra time. I think it may be the only silver goal in history. I don't know, George will correct me. That, that was definitely a, a match that I did not expect Greek, Greece to win. But uh, everybody went on about the uh, injury to Pavel Nedved, uh, which deprived the Czechs, one of the strongest teams in the world at that time, uh, of their uh, midfield engine, as you said <laughs> earlier in the program. Uh, Nedved was so influential that uh, without him, the Czech Republic was not the strong team that uh, we had got to see, but even though created plenty of problems uh, to the Greek defence. Uh, however, after the 90th minute, when extra time uh, started, you got the feeling that something else might happen. Though you'd never really expect uh, this to happen at the 105th minute. Yeah, it was a it was amazing, and uh, you know, I I, I uh, felt a little sorry for the the Czechs for for this reason. I was at the uh, Euro '96 final when they uh, in, in at Wembley 
when they uh, faced uh, Germany. And they lost then to uh, Golden Goal in uh, extra time. And we were actually sitting with the Czechs, Czech fans. And I, I, can't, I can't describe to you the, the anticlimax. You know, this they had led in the game. They got pegged back. They went into extra time. This game was going back and forth. And this goal goes in, it's over, and it's done with. And, of course, then uh, uh, UEFA uh, changed it and made, brought in the silver goal, which meant that if you score in the first half of extra time, the game is over at the end of that period of extra time. But here it was right at the end of the first period of extra time. So they, they just got a chance to kick off and uh, that was it. And you were, they were done for again. Barney. Nick, you, you, you misplaced. You should be feeling sorry for me. I had I put a made a, 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 a useful little bet before that tournament in 96 and got the checks at 66 to 1. And I had a, a nice a nice little earner going. So that uh, that goal uh, well, made me cry as well. <laughs> <laughs> if if we're talking about bets and this this is my one of the um, things I'm not allowed to forget in my household about this tournament Euro 2004. Ahead of the opening game, uh, Greece, Portugal, my wife suggests putting a bet on Greece to win. And I said to her, what, to beat Portugal in the opening game? Don't be so absurd. And she said, no, 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 on to, to win the whole tournament. At which point, of course, I, I fell off my chair laughing um, and have never been able to live down that moment since. You know, I'm supposed to be the football expert in the, in the household, yet... This uh, I missed this huge opportunity to to, to see uh, an unexpected uh, glorious victory for Greece coming. What can you do, eh? What can you, what, what can you do? You, you live and you live and learn. But uh, Graham, we, 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 Greece got to the semi final against uh, uh, may I say uh, many expectations. So it wasn't just me uh, uh, being uh, nonchalant about their uh, chances. Uh, the Czechs had been. Uh, the top scorers so far, they'd scored 10 goals before this game, beating Netherlands, Germany, Latvia and Denmark. This really was uh, uh, a fighting performance. They held on, they held on, they rode their luck and then they uh, got the goal uh, uh, just before the end of the first period of uh, extra time. Yeah, yeah I was, I was, I was going to say, Nick, just after that, we were talking about players who played abroad and stuff. I, I, I think Delas was playing at Roma at the time. And he had an immense game, both in defense, obviously, and in attack for that game. He was, you know, you see in every game, there's like, yes, it was a, it was a team performance every time. But, you know, you had these standout players who really had exceptional uh, days. Um, and that, I think, made, made a difference in that game. Dallas was absolutely immense in that game. As he's known as the Colossus, he really was a, a Colossus on that day. Well, that that's, uh, brings me to another bit of uh, commentary. And I think, guys... Maybe we can all agree on this. I'll I'll do a poll, but I think this goal was celebrated more or more widely than uh, any other during the tournament for for Greece. Would you say that's uh, Would you say that's a fair assessment? I would, yes. Just to illustrate it, I have a piece of commentary here from the Greek uh, public television, Ert, which uh, generally was a bit more understated than the radio commentary we heard earlier but not necessarily in this case with the winning goal of Trianos Delas against the Czech Republic. Goal! Goal! 
There is the commentary from the Greek public television of that uh, memorable goal. Barney, uh, another one that I'll be sending over for you to uh, to sort of practice uh, mimicking in your next uh, radio or TV commentary. Nick, just a little bit of uh, commentator's insight that uh, these long, big goal, 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 all this sort of thing, um, it's, it's actually a very good ruse for a TV commentator or a radio commentator when you haven't seen exactly who got their head to the ball and you need to buy yourself a few <laughs> seconds to work out who the goal scorer is. That's why they do it. Take it from me. Um, it, it, it's a great piece of commentary. I mean, I was watching these these uh, again last night, um, just just going over, just refreshing my memory. And you can just, the, the hairs on the back of my arms were going up. It was just amazing. I felt as though I was there again. It, it really brought everything back. It's an incredible feeling. The, what I would say about this Czech game is that when people talk about um, lucky Greece or fluky Greece, I, I think they were lucky to win this one. Uh, the Czechs were the better team over the first, as George said, over the over the 90 minutes, that the Czechs had so many chances. Greece barely got a shot on goal. Uh, fortunately, uh, I think it was Collaire missed a couple of good ones. Nedved went off. Uh, Nikopolidis, who we haven't mentioned so far, was outstanding again. And, um, you know, we, we need to talk about him at some point because he was he was an absolute rock for uh, for Greece. Uh, so they really rode their luck in this game. This was their 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 their, their magic bullet, if you like. They, they got out of this. But in extra time, as, again, as George said, they were they were the better team and deserved to win it on those uh, on those 15 minutes. Yeah, that's that, that's that's fair enough. George, did that bring the uh, memories flowing back for you? Definitely, uh, absolutely agree with uh, Barney what he said about uh, Nikopolidis. Uh, he was also uh, a, a great hero for Greece in the previous game, in the quarterfinal against France. But uh, in in this one, the excitement that built up at the end of the first half of, of uh, extra time uh, was uh, was mainly uh, was not just because this was the goal that took Greece to the final, but because this goal was pretty much like um, a buzzer beater in uh, basketball. It was exactly uh, a goal that sealed it uh, right there and then. So um, the the Greeks could uh, could celebrate knowing that there would be no response possible from from the opponent. Therefore, uh, this was a, a special moment that uh, you could uh, you could say that the the commentators uh, enjoyed even more than uh, the goal in the very final. Yeah, no, I agree absolutely. It's the definitive nature of the goal, and obviously, it's important as well. That means you can just go wild, whether you're a commentator, or a supporter, or a player. Uh, and of course, what, what one of the the enduring images for me, and it wasn't the first time in the, t- the tournament, is that the, the Greek bench en masse rushing off onto the the playing area. And Ray Huggle in his tracksuit turning around to them and trying to keep everyone calm and uh, in check because there were seconds, a few more seconds to play, and ever the, the professional is telling them all to to calm down. And that's a lovely image that I think will, will, will stay with us. You're listening. 
listening to the Agora Podcast by Macropolis. You can find us on Acast, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts for the time being. We'll soon be available in more places. In the meantime, please do subscribe, rate us, and send us your comments. You can also visit our website, www.macropolis.gr, for more information about our work. That's Macropolis with a C. Now, back to the show. That goal takes us to the final, where no, nobody expected Greece would be, playing the host Portugal again on the 4th of July at the Estadio da Luz in uh, Lisbon. And, of course, here history is made. Uh, another uh, Haristeas goal, a header from a corner in the 57th minute, is enough to seal the win, a his- historic win. Um, I, I mean, there's there's so many things that we can say about this game. One of the things, you know, looking looking back and not just at the footage, but also what was written in the stats, is that Greece scored from their only corner in the game. I didn't remember this at all. You know, Greece, usually a team that's made the most of set pieces because of their limited ability to create chances from, from open play. This was the only corner of the game, and they scored from that, summing up a little bit the performance uh, not just in this game, but the whole tournament. They made the most of the little that they had. Yeah, I think you summed it up there perfectly, Nick. And, that, and that's at this level of, of, of football, it, it's a cliche, I know, but that's what makes a difference. You have to take your chances. I mean, and in this game, it, it's kind of strange because I remember watching it and I remember it, although Portugal uh, gone with the nerves that they had in the opening game, they were more free-flowing and playing some good football and they had... They had enough chances to to win this game, but uh, you know Nicopolidis made a couple of good saves, um, and and uh, Figo and Ronaldo wasted a couple of good chances. Um, but the thing that, that kind of struck me is that it wasn't one sided in Portugal's favour. I mean, if you look at the yes, they did have more 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 shots on goal, which is to be expected, I think, uh, against Greece at that time. But possession wise, you know, if you look back, I mean, I was just checking ch- uh, checking the stats. And it was like it was only f- uh, fifty-two to forty-eight, something like that. So you see that Greece were just, you know, patiently, patiently playing their game. They didn't err from the game plan that the Rahagel set out for them. And as you say, they they they, they took the one chance they had from that corner, and they, and they put it away, and and that was that. So it was just a, a, a perfect game plan executed. Yeah. Uh, and now you mentioned uh, the, the the goal. Let's have a listen on how it was uh, commentated on. Another one for Barney to take notes on uh, all those years ago. Barney, the, the you need you need to work on your uh, you know releasing these long yelps into the into the into the microphone. <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure it's my style, but it, it's amazing to hear these these clips again, and and I, I just cannot help smiling. It it whenever Euro 2004 comes up, whenever these games come up, whenever I hear a clip or see a clip, it just transports me immediately 
back into this flat we had just rented in Pagrati, the doors flung open in this hot summer evening and the silence, the silence in Athens. There were no cars in the road, absolutely none. And everyone was watching. You could hear other people's TV sets um, across the street or uh, a couple of streets away. And when that goal went in, there was like this ripple effect of cheering that went right across the rooftops of Athens, I think. Everyone, we were jumping up, even my wife, who hates who hated sport. She, she was leaping up and down. We were, everyone was caught in the moment. It was just one of the most beautiful uh, moments, I think, I, I've ever witnessed in sport. Even though I wasn't there at the stadium, it was just something so, so special. It really was. It was a brilliant moment. Yeah, yeah, be- beautifully described. And of course... Uh, a lot of the images that, that stay with us are, are not only the things that happened around us, as you as you describe friends or family or, or our neighbourhood or city, but also the things that, that we saw on our, our, our screens. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, remains with me is that this was the moment, you know, when the final whistle went, when Ray Hagel finally let go and started running across the, the the pitch and celebrating like a madman. There was no turning around to the bench to to, to calm people down. He, he finally arrived there. And of course, he he was. And this is an interesting stat, which which, which I wasn't aware of when we, until we started sort of researching for the show. That he was uh, at sixty five years, ten months, and twenty five uh, days, just a few shy of you, Barney. He was the uh, <laughs> older. He was the oldest coach to win a. European Championship um, ever breaking the uh, record that had previously been held by Rinus Mikkels, for who, who who won the European Championship in 1988 with uh, the Netherlands, and and the other thing is that he was the first Greece were the first uh, nation to win a major championship while being led by a foreign manager. It never happened before in eleven previous European Championships or seventeen World Cups. Again underlining the remarkable job that uh, Ray Hagel did. Ray Hagel was, was, was special, wasn't he? I mean, he, he had that team uh, so well drilled and he kept it all inside. And as you say, extraordinary moments when he, uh, when he raced across the field. It was, it was fabulous. Uh, the, the, the guy is very special. They, didn't, you know, they, they kept calling him King Otto, didn't they? Wanted him back, uh, stick him on the Greek throne. Uh, he, he did a fantastic job. But we should say, obviously, the, the, a lot of the credit has to go to the players as well, uh, guys. And uh, Theos Algorakis was named player of the tournament, which thinking back on it now is is an amazing thing because uh, he, he may have had a distinguished career in Greece and he may have played a, a bit of, abroad as well, but uh, certainly not a player you would consider to be the best at the European Championship where you have the, the, the continent's best talents uh, playing. And five Greek players were made it into the UEFA 23-man squad of the tournament. Adonis Nikopoulidis, the goalkeeper who we mentioned earlier. Trajanos Delas, the defender, who scored the goal against the Czech Republic. Jurkas Seitaridis, the fullback. Zagorakis himself. And Agilos Haristeas, who scored all those vital goals. Obviously, a huge amount of credit. If Ray Hagel managed to rally them together, they, they out outperformed themselves. They they played much better than what they had done until that point. 
and much better than what they did after that. So uh, this was definitely a peak for Greek football, for Greek sports in general, and uh, for themselves, for those very players. Uh, But uh, it's important to note that uh, these players went on to make some careers abroad, but never really uh, rose to the expectations that the teams which uh, bought them uh, had paid for. That's that, that's absolutely right, and it, this was obviously the outstanding moment of their careers. And let's hear how it was described by Martin Tyler, who was commentating for UEFA TV. It's over! It is over! Greece are the champions of Europe, the ultimate outsiders at the start of the tournament, and even at the start of this final, it's a footballing fairy story. The champions of Europe are Greece! A little more understated than the Greek commentators there, Barney. I've got, it's brilliant. And again, it's, it, it doesn't quite have the, uh, the, the atmosphere of the Greek commentary, uh, Nick. But what I remember <clears throat> at the end of that game, and I was talking about the the silence in Athens um, while the game was on, apart from when the goal went in, when there was this huge roar across the rooftops. And I will never forget that when the final whistle went, again, there was another big roar across the rooftops. And then within about 15 seconds, all you could hear from the streets below were this clunk, 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 as people leapt into their cars and then suddenly just leant on the horns and the party did not stop for the next 12 hours. Seriously, it went through the night into Monday morning. It was a start. And nobody minded because it was it was a great moment. It was just a very, very funny as well to hear those uh, car doors slamming and start the cars starting up and off they went. Well, we, we were among those. We, we, went, we drove down to the centre of Athens, went to Sindama Square and celebrated with uh, many, uh, many others. Uh, so it was uh, truly uh, uh, a unique uh, occasion. Uh, and I, I remember a piece that uh, George had written after um, Euro 2004 about a story about a guy who drove his car to uh, Ammonia Square and just left it there and told people, do whatever you want with it. I'm, just, I'm so elated. I don't really care. Is, is that true, George? Do you remember that? Absolutely. That was uh, near Omonia Square, uh, to be precise. Uh, But let me also add the view from London, which is where I was, because uh, all the Greeks uh, went over to Bayswater uh, in central London, West London. And uh, there wasn't just Greeks over there. You could see uh, British people. You could see uh, all all kinds of people celebrating Greece's victory. I saw a a black guy celebrating who was obviously from uh, East Africa. I said, "Uh, where are you from? He said, Ethiopia. I said, why are you celebrating uh, with us? Because you're fellow Orthodox, he said. Fantastic. Fantastic. What what a a memory. Uh, Guys, as we sort of now try to wrap this up, I'd like to ask the, the question, basically, what the hell was all that about? And what I mean, was it a sporting fluke? Was it a superhuman performance? Was it uh, tactical genius? Were Greece just in the right place at the right time to take advantage of uh, the weaknesses of others? And, you know, we we should remember that, that there was some criticism about 
the way that uh, Greece played, uh, they were classified as boring. Uh, for instance, uh, Pauleta, the, the Portuguese striker, said at the end of the tournament that it was regrettable that a team that does nothing but defend ends up as uh, European champions. But on the other hand, there was also praise for what Greece achieved also in a tactical sense. Uh, Michael Cox of uh, zonal marking, I think, uh, summed it up really well, saying that to beat the holders, the best team, and the hosts in successive rounds by the same scoreline, by scoring the same way, doesn't happen by accident. It happens through immense tactical wisdom and careful deployment of tactics to suit each game. So I'd like to go around and get your views on this. Graham, what, what, what's your assessment? What was it all about? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the um, billion-dollar question, but I think um, I'm going to sit on the fence and say it's a combination of all those things because I, I, I think mainly, yes, it was the right coach with the right tactics, with the right squad of players, the whole kind of team spirit that he brought in. But um, obviously you don't win anything without having a bit of luck along the way and you know things like Nedved going off um, in, in that game against the Czech Republic and you know uh, uh, other moments when Nikopolidis made some really important saves it's it's true that Greece uh, rolled their luck in some of those games but overall they did enough and were well organized enough to, to see it through and that's that's the mark of all good teams isn't it that's the mark of all good champions you know you win games when you're maybe not on top and you're not 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 the best team out there. So I think, you know, trying to sum it all up and say, well, was it superhuman? I think on the part of the players, yes. A lot of those players played above themselves. They played above um, the level that they were used to playing. Um, and, and they did that because they had the right coach with the right system who had instilled this team spirit as well. And as they, and as they um, anyone who's played any sort of sport, it doesn't have to be professional, you know what confidence can do for you. You you feel you can achieve anything when you get momentum and the confidence comes. And I, and I think that played a big part in it as well. They were actually had the belief and confidence in themselves. Um, so I think, yeah, if I, 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 I wouldn't try and single out one thing. I think it's a combination of all those kind of factors. Uh, well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Barney, how do you sum it up? Um, it's, it's difficult to sum up, isn't it? I mean, it, Greece... If you really want to be technical, a lot of people have said it probably weren't the best team there. If you look at them on paper, probably France, the Czechs, you had the Dutch. I mean, they all had star names. They they were all, you know, they had many more great, even Portugal. Um, but Greece was the best team. They were the best team. And that's, that's what Rehagel did. And I think that's what Graham was just saying. All those players came together at the same time. And the uh, the sum of the parts was greater than uh, the individual parts. Tournaments are tournaments are strange things. You can you can if you get on a roll in a tournament, and if if you like Greece did, they won their first game. They they got their confidence. Suddenly the, there was no pressure on them after that opening game. There was absolutely no pressure because they'd never won a game in a competition like this before. They'd not only scored, they had scored twice. They had beaten the hosts, and from that point on, they were winners in a sense. And they rode it and they believed in it and, and everything gathered. And, and there are these moments when the stars align. I was lucky to be in South Africa in 1995 when, uh, during the Rugby World Cup when uh, that, that iconic moment when Nelson Mandela hands the Rugby World Cup to Francois Pinard. It is the iconic moment of Rugby World Cup history, even today, 25 years on. Whereas for me, 
Greece winning the Euros in 2004 is a similar moment. Yes, if France had won, if the Czechs had won, if Portugal had won, fair enough. They were good teams and we'd say, fair enough, mark it off in their, in their column of victories and, and we'd all move on. But Greece won. And the fact that Greece won in 2004 means that people in pubs or bars or wherever they meet around the world, if Greeks go, wherever they go, everyone, all football people, will, if you mention Greece 2004, they will have something to say. People remember it, that tournament, because Greece won it. Absolutely. It, it's, it's, it stayed in uh, people's memories for, for whatever reason. George, how do you sort of sum, sum up that uh, Euro 2004 experience? There is no doubt that uh, Euro 2004 outgrew the Athens Olympics a couple of months later. And uh, this is definitely a memory that we live on, not just for Greeks, but for all football fans, as Barney correctly uh, pointed out. Um, it, was, it was a fluke, really. Uh, it was more like um, the tournament uh, excitement factor. It was more like uh, the constellation of great uh, players or uh, a spirited coach. Uh, it, it was really a fluke. You could see all the uh, all the other favorites dropping like uh, flies uh, in the course of the tournament. And uh, Greece went on and on and on uh, to the disbelief even of the Greeks themselves. Uh, let me just add to the... Uh, a little soundbite you played before from the Greek stance. That's one of the chants at the at, at the end of the group stage was Otto uh, Rehagel Mekanes Maga Manastila Kialafraga, which translates into Otto Rehagel, you have turned me into a big man. Mom, send more money. <laughs> the, 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 the appeals by Greek fans for more money to stay on in Portugal for. Lo- for more and more days as the tournament rolled on, which they obviously weren't uh, expecting, is a, is a lovely memory from that time. Guys, just to wrap up, uh, I'd like to look a little bit at the the legacy of that uh, tournament. We all uh, follow uh, Greek football or have been following for years, and the, the state it's in or has been for, for years sort of pains us a little bit. Did that, uh, in your view, did that tournament, was it... Uh, used in the way that it should be for for Greek football to 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 kick on. I mean, we look around and Greece has uh, really low attendances, a few average attendances, a few thousand people. Um, the fans at each game, according to AFA, Greece's top division clubs generated 137 million euros in revenue in 2018. As a contrast, this is just a third of what the Portuguese clubs are generating. Did really Greece uh, emerge both as a national team and in terms of its football as victorious as it should have done from that tournament? George, if I can start with you. Um, As much as it should have done, I'm not sure uh, whether uh, a fluke like that uh, could uh, could be something uh, to build on, really. Although uh, the the national team went on and uh, qualified to the 2008 uh, European Championships. It, uh, again, it qualified to, to the 2010 World Cup, uh, and um, in, it managed to achieve. It got its first goal, its first win in uh, in the World Cup in South Africa. Four years on, it qualified uh, to the 2004 World Cup, advancing in Brazil to the last 16 and uh, losing in the penalty shootout to Costa Rica. 
uh, in the end. Uh, so, yeah, the national team did build on this this one with Otto Ray Hagel and then with Fernando Santos. However, uh, I must say that uh, all Greeks believe that this was an opportunity missed for uh, the for Greek sports and Greek club football in particular, because the mentality built during that month in uh, Portugal uh, was not um, utilized uh, for the rest of the game in Greece. It was just within the national team. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's... Uh, the, the, you mentioned that the, the national team had its successes afterwards, getting to the Euro, 2000, Euro 2008, where Graham was there covering it, went, going to the... the uh, World Cup in 2010, which you uh, attended, George, of course. Euro 2012, World Cup of 2014, where we're, Greece was a whisker away from making it into the quarterfinal. So, so momentum had built for the Greek national team. But I, I'm less with this sense that you know the the, the energy that was created by the 2004 win sort of dissipated. I want to call out George a little bit. Because he keeps saying this was a fluke, and I, I genuinely uh, don't believe it was a fluke. Uh, I think Greece played well, and they deserved. Ultimately, they deserved. They beat some really good teams. You don't win two matches against Portugal three-one in aggregate as a as a fluke. You don't beat France as a fluke and the Czech Republic. So I think Georgia being a little bit hard on them. Um, but having said that, there was a reason why Greece were eighty to one outsiders, and that's because Greece hasn't got or didn't have a great international record. And uh, in a sense, there was false expectation of where this would make Greece because it doesn't suddenly make you number one in the world. And um, there wasn't, there simply wasn't the organisation within Greece. And, uh, you know, Greece is a relatively small country compared with Brazil or Germany or whomever. So I think Greece has sort of, again, sunk down a little bit, but has has found its level. It's going to get into some tournaments. It's, it's going to miss out on others. And I, I don't think anyone should be too too worried about that um, as far as the national team goes. I my in terms of club football, I should put on the record now that I I left Greece. I covered five years of uh, football of domestic football in Greece from two thousand and four to two thousand and nine. I haven't uh, lived in Greece since then, so that's a decade. I'm not I'm not up to speed with what's happened in that last decade. When I look from outside and what I saw within uh, is exceedingly disappointing. Um, Yes, without doubt, uh, the Greek football authorities failed to capitalise on this. Uh, and that is, again, from where I sit in my comfy chair in France, I see uh, too much corruption and too much partisanship. And I'm afraid that hasn't changed since before I got to Greece in 2004. There's always been uh, these problems. And, and so far as I can tell, they still exist. And until those are um, addressed... Then, um, then I think Greek domestic football is is still going to struggle. Graham, you you travel around the country uh, watching uh, Greek football, following the domestic league as well. Um, what's your impression? What's the legacy of Euro two thousand four? Has it sort of dissipated over these years, and really we've we've lost that uh, bit of magic and momentum that was created uh, sixteen years ago? Yeah, I think so. I think there's different parts to this question. Um, I think I'd agree with in, with, with Nick and uh, sorry with um, with Barney and with um, George on the, the way the Greek national team has actually used that success to become a like a contender again. You know, Greece was always a team you would think are uh, as an 
is an England fan, for example, oh, it's a team we can beat, you know, 4-5-0 and be done with the game. But no, Greece after that, they became a, a, a more serious prop, uh, proposition. There was there was some good things done with with the coaching setup uh, and the way uh, the national teams from all levels, from the youth levels, were kind of operated. More like kind of professionalism and more kind of seriousness, I would say. And, and like the other guys said, in, in terms of su- success for the national team, the success was there because they qualified for major tournaments again. Um, no one's going to expect them to win again, but at least, you know, they've, as Barney said, they kind of found their level. They're going to qualify for some tournaments. They may not set any tournaments alight, but they have some good talent and players which are coming through the systems. Now, in terms of the legacy on, on the club football, I think, you know, we did see some good positive results for, for Greek teams in Europe. We saw big name players still coming over. Yes, maybe they're in their twilight years, you know, the likes of like Jibble uh, Cisse, Rivaldo and all these players who, who came to Greece in the intervening years. Um, and so the Greek league was still at a kind of decent level. Um, I would say obviously below the likes of uh, Portugal. Um, but then then I think one of the major factors was that uh, when Rahaga left and they kind of slipped back slowly into this kind of singularity thing again where the national team uh, was kind of second in priority to clubs. And then you have the financial crisis, which I think has played a massive part in kind of uh, decapitating, if you like, Greek football because, you know... Yeah, good point. This really started to hit home. Okay, the crisis, the financial crisis, the global financial crisis began in 2008. But I think from 2010 onwards, it really hit Greece. And those, you know, from then until now, Greek football has really kind of suffered in terms of the clubs. It can't attract anymore these big foreign players that they did in the past. Yes, this has been a positive because it's it's made clubs rely on up and coming Greek players. Like, you know, Panathinaikos right now have got one of the youngest uh, squads and they've always been famous for their academy and uh, Pauka trying to do a similar thing up north um, but yeah I, I think in terms of the legacy the national team benefited more from Greek football overall and then as, uh, as, you're right, as you quite rightly mentioned Nick there's been a number of scandals with the Greek Football Federation which is being shown to be openly corrupt not, not just you know being sneaky about things they've been exposed on numerous occasions and I think it's a real shame that they didn't build on that aspect of things all right, guys. Well, I think, you know, over a, an hour or so that we've had a, a really good look back at not only what happened on the field, but off it as well and what our memories of it are and how this this moment 16 years ago still resonates today and still is very looked back on so fondly, not just by us, but uh, millions of people, not just in Greece, but around the world. So I'd really like to thank you for spending uh, this time with me, looking back on it and sharing your thoughts. Uh, Thanks to Graham Wood. Thank you, Graham. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. There's nothing like nostalgia. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Uh, Nostalgia. It ain't ain't what it used to be. Barney Spender. Barney, merci beaucoup. No, thanks to you, Nick. Uh, it, it's been great to chat with uh, Graham and George and relive these moments. As, as I said to you at the start, this was an amazing year for, for my family coming to Greece and uh, just living this Euro in Athens, I think was probably even more vivid than had I been covering the tournament in Portugal, certainly from a, from the Greek standpoint and, and set me up for the next five years. It was fantastic to be a part of and I, I will never forget it. So thank you for having me on. 
Great to hear. Thank you. And thank you very much to George Yorakopoulos. Thank you, George. Thank you very much for everyone. Nick, Barney and Graham, this was definitely an unforgettable moment and an unforgettable show. Thank you. All right, guys. So uh, usually we'd uh, sign off the show with our uh, theme music, the Burgundy Grapes playing the Straight Line Blues. But I think since it's a special edition, we can do something different. Here are the Greek national team celebrating on that night on 4th of July 2004, which we're still talking about today. <laughs> 